we're going to be in uh, Philippians 1. Uh, we're going to be going from verse 12 to 18. And so we're just, what I think we should do is just read the whole section, and then we'll kind of uh, uh, talk about it verse by verse. By verse. <clears throat> so he's writing to the Philippians, and he says in verse 12, Actually, could somebody read 12 to 18? I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the, the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So indeed preach Christ from envy, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others for good, from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ, Christ, Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed in that, in that I rejoice. All right, great. So, just looking at the very first, uh, in verse 12, it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And the first thing we've got to think about is, well, what has really happened to Paul? And there's, there's a couple things that I, I think are important about this. One of them is that, that Paul had a great attitude. Paul's attitude of... Uh, what he was there for, what his purpose was, was so clear that it informed everything about him. And so I wanted to kind of point out some of the things from Acts without going too deeply into, into the book of Acts, but I want us to flip there a few times to kind of see uh, a little bit of an outline of some of these things. So what had happened is in Acts 21, if you want to turn there, Paul has eventually has actually uh, is on his way to Jerusalem, and he's he's in a place called Caesarea, and there's a guy in Caesarea that's a prophet, and he comes and he talks to Paul, and um, in Acts 21 verse 10, I'll just read it off my screen here. It says Acts 21:10. While we, that's Luke, he's writing this, so Luke is with Paul. Acts 21, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Verse 12, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Verse 13 is the important one. This, this shows Paul's attitude. Then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since, we would, would, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. So that's what Paul says. They said, warn him. They said, no, you're going to be tied up. The prophet says you're going to be tied up. You're going to be bound, and uh, you're going to be delivered to death, basically. And Paul said, 
And so they're, they're pleading with him, saying, Paul, don't do this. Don't go there. Maybe you better stay away from there. And he says, you're breaking my heart by, by telling me not to go and preach the gospel. You're breaking my heart because this is all I care about. For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So you have a situation where uh, he go, goes to Jerusalem. And what, what, we should, what he should do sometime when you have a little extra time to read the Bible is read the last from chapter 21 to uh, chapter 28 of Acts. All those eight chapters. And you get the whole story of Paul being in prison and brought from place to place to place. But Paul says, the things that have happened to me. So the Philippian church would have known what was going on with Paul. And uh, very much like Elton John and Celine Dion and Jerry Seinfeld and Shania Twain, Paul eventually had a residency at Caesar's Palace. Uh, oh my god. That's a, that was that's good. A, that's a bad joke. That's a bad joke. So bad. There actually was a casino in Vegas called the Imperial Palace, too. Oh. And we got the Imperial Palace here. But he ends up at Caesar's Palace, okay? <laughs> Basically, he's brought to Rome, and he's at this place called the Praetorium. Uh, where, it's, where it's called, it said the whole imperial palace, imperial guard. The praetorium is the barrack of the, of the praetorian guards. These are the bodyguards of, of the emperor, okay? And it's attached to the palace. So he's right there at the palace of Caesar, and, uh, and that's where he is. And, uh, and if, you, if you, you know, people have, have wondered, well, where was Paul in prison? Because it doesn't specifically say, and so there's a lot of commentators will talk, well, maybe it was at Caesarea or Ephesus or Corinth or some other place. But if we look in the Bible in, in 422, the very, toward the very end of Philippians, just flip over there for a second. And he's, he's kind of uh, doing the salutation and saying goodbye to everyone. He says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And Caesar's household was where he was. They were near there at his own place. So uh, this is definitely, as far as I can see, written from Rome. And uh, he's there. And, uh, but yet, because of his imprisonment, because he knows what's going on, and he understands that this was the plan of God all along, he's cool with it. <laughs> okay? And uh, I want to kind of point out a couple things, um, how he got here. In 2133, basically he was going to be beaten to death by a mob at Jerusalem, some Jews that didn't like him. But uh, in 2133, the, a tribune, who was a guy that's over uh, um, a legion of soldiers, so he's in charge of maybe three to 5,000 soldiers, he kind of rescues him and, and kind of says, okay, we, got, we can't just let you beat him to death. We're going to uh, try him. So a tri he, he, he's able to, he comes in contact with the tribune. Then in 22-23, there's a centurion. That's a guy that's over 100 uh, soldiers. And then in chapter 23-24, he meets Felix, the governor. Okay, Now Felix is uh, you know, over that area of Judea in the Roman Empire. So he's over Jerusalem and all that area. So they're at Caesarea, which is north of Jerusalem. So there's Felix, the governor. And then 
uh, after his term is up, we find out there's this other guy named Festus, 2427, Felix and Festus. <laughs> Sounds like the old West, right? But uh, they're, they're governors, so he's, he's, he's brought in contact with these people. And Festus uh, doesn't really know what to do with him because he's kind of a leftover from Felix and he's still in jail. And uh, Festus uh, has a situation where the king, I don't know exactly how the king fits in, but there's this guy named King Agrippa that comes in and uh, he comes to Caesarea to kind of find out. He wants to see, meet Paul. And Paul, in the 26th chapter of Acts, gives a, gives a great uh, testimony of what happened to him and why he's preaching the gospel, and even tries to convince King Agrippa to become a Christian. Okay? And then Festus, uh, we find out that Festus' plan in Acts 25, 21, is to send Paul to Caesar. Okay? And then... Um, during that time on his way to Rome, he gets in the shipwreck, and you can read about that in chapter 27, and there's a lot of miraculous things that happen there, but uh, there's 237 people that were going to die, but Paul uh, tells them to trust the Lord, and <laughs> hang on, we're going to be saved, I saw it in a dream, vision. And so you have the whole thing where Paul has, through his imprisonment, through him being arrested and in chains, he is... Um, he, he, throughout this whole time, is preaching the gospel. He's telling these people. He's, he's giving a defense of the gospel. He's giving an explanation of the gospel. He's able to come in contact with these, uh, with these leaders. And, and to understand for us, to understand that this is God's intention. This isn't something that just kind of happened. Okay, uh, I want you to go to Acts chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 9, this is the story about, about Paul when he was converted, okay? And I won't read the whole thing, but basically he's, he's met by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And, uh, and Jesus says to him, you know, Paul, I, you know, you know the whole thing, you can read it. But basically he's, he's blinded and he goes to the, the town of Damascus and there's this man named Ananias who, sit, who the Lord speaks to. And, and, and Ananias knows about Paul. He knows Paul is this guy that's, uh, you know, has the authority. Well, let's look at him. verse 13. Okay, Acts 9. Um, and verse 10. It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, at the house of Jesus. Judas looked for a man of Tarsus named Paul, named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in the vision a man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him to receive his sight, to regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority to bind all who call on your name. And this is the part that's important, okay? Verse 15. But the Lord said, this is Jesus saying, the Lord said, for he is, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and what? Kings. Kings. So God had this plan for Paul to carry the Lord's name to kings and to the Gentiles and the children of Israel. So we have God's plan in all this so that when he comes before King Agrippa, that's the plan of God. 
And then you find out in Acts chapter 27, turn there for a second. Acts chapter 27. These guys are uh, shipwrecked. And they're, and they're kind of uh, in a bad way. And uh, if you look at verse 20, Acts 27, 20, Paul, uh, Luke is writing and he says, uh, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was, last, was at last abandoned. And then Paul tells him, boys, you guys should have listened to me. We shouldn't have gone on this trip. We shouldn't have sailed out from Crete. But he says, look at verse 23. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. So all of these things, Paul knew that eventually he would stand before Caesar. And he also told the guys, also, you guys are going to be saved. You know, we're, we're, going, to, we're, going, to, we're going to live. And he found that out in the dream too. But that's, you can read about that on your own. But these things about standing before the kings, that was, that was Jesus' words to Ananias. And then Paul getting a vision that he would stand before Caesar. So all of these things that happened to Paul that he describes in verse 12, Paul knew that they were going to take place. So there was, a, there was an expectancy that this was how God was going to advance the gospel. So he says, I want you to know, brothers, so what has happened to me, all this different imprisonment that I've been going through, has really served to advance the gospel. He understood God's purpose in that. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So this term advance, advance the gospel, is a term that it was used by the military for when they would make a conquest, make progress as an army and move forward. And um, so the gospel was advanced in spite of the, you know, maybe God using the adversity. We'll get that in, yeah, in a moment. Another thing is that Paul, back in verse 7, we read last week, Philippians 1.7 says, he had told them that, that God was going to continue the work in them that he had begun, right? And then in verse 7, he says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. Yeah. <laughs> you all. You all. <laughs> These guys didn't even notice I did that. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers or you all have fellowship. You're all with me. You're partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment. God's grace is in the imprisonment mm -hmm. and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. God is in this is what he's saying. He says, you guys are with me. Even in my imprisonment, this hasn't changed anything, is kind of what he's saying. We've advanced the gospel. It's kind of like this, these military terms going around. And he's kind of going, we are still together. We haven't been divided and conquered. We're going to continue to advance the gospel. And, you know, then in verse 13, he says, my imprisonment is for Christ. Uh, the actual wording in Greek is, my chains in Christ. Basically, just 
this big solidarity that Christ was in this, Jesus was in this, with him, and there was there was no separation for Paul. Paul was expressing solidarity with Christ. He's saying that Christ was there with him. The Philippians might have been expecting a miraculous escape. Remember, in the first two weeks ago, when Jared was introducing Philippians, we talked about Acts 16 about they were at Philippi and they get beaten and thrown in jail, Paul and Silas, and they start singing hymns, then there's an earthquake, and the earthquake shakes the prison foundations, and all of their chains fall off. It's this incredible, incredible, miraculous thing, and then the jailer gets saved, and Paul and uh, Silas get to leave, and, and so that happened at Philippi. But in this case, Paul is being, has been imprisoned all the way from Jerusalem, all the way up to uh, Rome. And so he's saying to them, just because you didn't get a we didn't get a miraculous escape this time, doesn't mean God isn't in this. Mm -hmm. He is in this. Mm -hmm. He wanted them to know that Jesus was involved in the plan for him to be in prison. <coughs> now, I found a really good quote uh, in the one of the commentaries uh, that Jared gave me. And this, this guy makes this quote. He says, Paul did not merely say that the gospel had continued to make progress in spite of adversity. Rather, the adversity itself had turned out for the advancement of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Paul wasn't going along and he ran into adversity. Paul was looking at the things that he had gone through as things that were advancing the gospel. So if we, if we put the gospel here, it's like leaning forward, right? Advancing. It's advancing, you know. See? And then we come up against adversity here. We think, well, here's the gospel. It's going along great. We ran into some adversity. It's a bad thing, right? But really what had happened was this adversity... <clears throat> had advanced the gospel, had pushed the gospel forward. There's a difference in the way this is conceived. It's not like Paul's doing this great job of preaching the gospel, and all of a sudden things just really messed up for him, but he got through anyway. The adversity that he had gone through had given him the opportunity to push the gospel forward, to advance the gospel. And I think that that's I know that's kind of a hokey illustration, but I thought it helped to kind of see that a little different. Because I think sometimes that we take an attitude that I'm going through difficult trials. God's still working in spite of all this. I could do a so much better job if I didn't have these problems. Has anybody ever been there? Mm -hmm. I could, you know, I could do so much better in my witness, my testimony, working, doing stuff for the church, if I didn't have all these problems, then I could really do work for God. But the fact is that we should probably have the same attitude as Paul, don't you think? Because he, he had the attitude that adversity, 
a, bit, a way to see adversity is to realize God's purpose in it and allow people to see that our faith and joy in Christ is not dictated, dictated by our circumstances. Right. Our faith and joy in Christ will take on the same problems that everybody else has, but we come out with faith and we show forth that faith and we show forth that trust in God and we show that the gospel works through that. And so it's pushed, it's pushed ahead. The gospel is advanced. Um, so I just wanted to kind of for a minute think about God's purposes back then in getting the gospel out. Here is the Christians. There's 120. Uh, most of the first Christian things, the 120 people in the upper room, uh, the first 3,000 that were saved that we've talked about several times in church here, uh, and the several other people that, that got saved, that's a very small part of the world, very small place, right? But at the time, the Roman Empire is the most powerful empire, I think, ever, right? They're the most influential and powerful empire ever. So there's no internet, okay? Take that out of your mind. There's no cable news network, okay? That's, take that away. There's no newspapers. There's a guy that goes in the middle of town and cries out the news. <laughs> but that's about it. The town crier, I think you've seen that in movies maybe. Uh, so the question would be, how would the gospel have got out, other than the way that God had designed it for Paul to be in prison and go and be in front of all these governors and tribunes, tribunes and uh, kings, and eventually Caesar? Because I believe that if God gave him a vision that he's going to be in front, stand in front of Caesar, that, that probably happened. We don't have that recorded in the Bible, but. Uh, I think that it's reasonable to assume that it did happen because God said it. God used the government legal system and the oppression of Christians to spread the gospel. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, he still does that. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of countries that prohibit the gospel from being preached, it flourishes. And so, I mean, just in thinking about that and thinking about, you know, reflecting on God's purpose in, in things, we, we, in, the first thing that should come to our mind is how does this advance the gospel? And I got to confess, I don't think that way a lot of the time. I think of the problem. I focus on the problem. Mm -hmm. And I think if we were honest, most of us would. But <clears throat> Paul got into prison, he was there for two years. And in fact, um, in saying that this turned out to advance the gospel, Paul wrote the books of Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon while he was sitting in this prison in Rome. So we wouldn't have those books, and you know, they're really well written, very important books of our Bible, and they've advanced the gospel throughout the years while Paul was sitting in prison. And so there's another way to look at God's purpose in all of the things that were happening. If Paul had just gone around preaching freely, maybe maybe a few people would have heard the gospel, but not everybody. And so you have God's purpose shown, and Paul says, this is advancing the gospel. Mm -hmm. and, and then he says, 
verse 14, most of the brothers having become, become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And in the New American, it says they are trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment. Have far more courage to speak the word of God. So they're fearless because they see Paul in prison. <laughs> they saw the example of Paul rejoicing in prison. What else, what else would, let me ask the question, what else would there be about Paul being in prison and, and boldly preaching the gospel that would uh, give them courage? Well, he's not dead. He's not dead. Okay, so he's protected. Yeah. I mean, he's been he's been alive the whole time, and he's he's been. So it's like, up. what's the worst that's going to happen to you? Like, you can even see somebody's in prison and still yeah. hopeful, and his yeah. attitude is still um, placed on Christ. And right. so it's like, what do you really have to lose when you can see someone like that? Exactly. So he's they see Paul being protected in prison and. He's not even discouraged or intimidated or worried about it. Well, that gives them boldness. What else? What about Paul himself? Anything about Paul himself that would have ministered to them? He saw his purpose. He saw his purpose. The advancement of the gospel. Right? Mm -hmm. I would think they would be encouraged that his joy wasn't diminished. You know, if you saw somebody going through that type of thing. And, and the other thing was, they were, it says that all of the palace guard was talking about it. They all knew about it. And I was thinking, you know, there's some commentators who say, well, not all the palace guard were the known. There's thousands of them, you know? Some people say there's like 9,000 Praetorian guards around uh, in Rome at the time. Well, I don't know, but I, Remember that this, this isn't very far removed from when the Romans had crucified Jesus and Jesus had risen from the dead. And so the Roman army probably had a good, uh, you know, had heard the news about Jesus. I mean, that probably had spread quite well. So here comes along Paul doing miracles and preaching and, and boldly proclaim, pro, proclaiming the gospel. And so they probably all knew about what was going on, in, you know, with Paul. Um, and uh, so the, the gospel goes being spread through the soldiers, too. So they're, they're rejoicing. They see the example of Paul rejoicing. They see he's protected. They see the gospel advancing. They're encouraged by uh, his faith and trust in the Lord in spite of the circumstances. They're emboldened by the fact that he's preaching, and they're not intimidated. So he's, he's this great example and he's also getting the gospel out in a way that only God could have designed for that time. But moving on, verse 15, he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Um, there's a lot of discussion uh, with people that write about these things. Who is this that preaches from envy and rivalry? And uh, I think one of the things that maybe good for us to understand is the gospel, the Bible wasn't there yet, okay? Paul was written, had written some letters and had been given some revelation but there was all the, the apostles, most of the apostles were still alive at this point 
And if you remember in 1 Corinthians 1.10, I'll just read it to you. Paul is appealing to the people in uh, Corinth, which is not very far. It's also in Greece. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be, and that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or Cephas. Okay? So it could have been that Paul is talking about these, there's, there's other people probably trying to gain notoriety, the notoriety that Paul had, because that's human nature. They're jealous of it, okay? They preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Now, he's not saying they're preaching false doctrine. Like some people say, well, no matter what you teach, whatever, whatever you say, as long as you preach, uh, talk about Jesus, it's cool. But no, he, I don't think Paul would have, knowing him from other statements about people needing to be accursed and <laughs> even worse, in harsher language about people that um, would introduce uh, legalism into the gospel. He was very much against false doctrine. He called people that would teach false doctrine savage wolves. So he wasn't cool with people teaching false doctrine. But what he was glad about was they're preaching the gospel, but they may be having a bad motive. Maybe they're saying, I want to get Peter to the top instead of Paul. I don't really trust Paul, you know? Because these people in Corinth were saying, I just follow Peter. I don't, I don't, I don't know what this Paul guy. Or I just follow Apollos. He really knows the scriptures. And even the Bible says that Apollos knew the scriptures. So basically, there's these people that are envious of Paul and, and, and they're, uh, what does it say? Uh, out of envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. Verse 16. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here for, put here for the defense of the gospel. And we talked about already how Paul had defended the gospel, and, and, and that word that's called defense of the gospel is the word ap apologia, where we get the word apology, and we get the idea of a legal defense, or the, where we get the idea of apologetics stating a case. So he's stating the case for the gospel, right? And he'd done that in, you can read about it in Acts 26. We won't go there right now. But he had done that before King Agrippa and s several other people. So, <clears throat> so when we think about these people that are preaching out of envy and rivalry, can you think of any modern day examples of that? You don't have to maybe state, but can probably think of a situation where people are saying, oh, I'm with this preacher, right? Or I'm with this ministry or with this church. And the way they do things, you know, that sort of thing. But Paul says, it's not really about me, since it's not about me. He says, look in verse 17, he says, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So these guys are, are trying to bring down Paul. And this word, afflict me in my imprisonment, is, is, a, is a word that means, the, the actual wording is supposing to add pressure to my chains, okay? Or friction 
That's what it means. Pressure or friction, uh, kind of like something pulling at something. And we have the expression, pulling my chain. It's from, from no, <laughs> but anyway, the, the word means that it's kind of like pulling on my chains. Like, rem remember back in Acts 26, when he first gets rescued by the tribune, he's bound with two chains, it says. Acts 21:33. The, the tribune bound him with two chains. So throughout the whole time, he's, got, he's in chains. And... And he even says to, to King Agrippa, he's trying to convince him to become a Christian. And he says, Paul said whether sh uh, King Agrippa, he, <laughs> he asked the king, do you believe in the prophets? And, and the king said to him, and this is in Acts 26, Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time you would persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul rep replies, Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, a believer in Jesus, except for these chains. So at the time he's talking to Agrippa, he's standing there in chains, okay? So he's saying, these guys that are preaching against me, they're trying to make, kind of like tighten my chains, but it's not working is kind of what he's saying. And... Uh, The former, proclaim Christ, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish, selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. His attitude was the gospel's going out there, so that's all that matters, even though they're trying to bring me down. Father, I pray that we learn from the example here today of Paul. Uh, we would gain much from uh, just how he thought about everything that happened to him and how he realized it was your, your plan the whole time. And that uh, you had this great plan to put him in front of the leaders of the world at that time. And bring the gospel in front of the leaders of the world and let them show the joy of Christ in the midst of suffering and chains on his body. And he could say, this is what the gospel is about. It's way beyond this. And I pray we would have that attitude to whatever life throws our way, that we'd say, you know, what I'm about is way beyond what I'm experiencing right now. Mm -hmm. And that we would have an attitude that not necessarily welcome suffering, I don't think that's normal to do that, but to see your hand Lord, and to see your purpose mm -hmm. and to look for your purpose even if we don't see it right away mm -hmm. so that we would uh, we would have an, uh, the attitude of Paul that whether, whether people are uh, trying to hurt him or not he didn't care, he just cared about the gospel mm -hmm. and even with, when our brothers and sisters hurt us, Lord, or do things that undermine us, that we would just think about the ultimate goal of the advancement of the gospel in people's lives and rejoice in that only. Help us to have this attitude. Help, help us to learn from this, Lord. Help your spirit to move in us to, to think about these things and let it change us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm. yeah.